Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. That, uh, that phrase, that Jesus silence his fear. It's just so fascinating to me to think about. It was one year ago this week that everything changed. It was a year ago this Sunday, if I'm going to be really honest with you. We were making light of things. And to our dismay, as we looked back, we were having too much fun. Um, just, we had, we, we were making announcements with people with gas masks and all kinds of, we're just like, I don't know about this thing. Maybe we'll get shut down for a week or two. And it's a year later, and everybody's lives has been dis- disrupted at some point. There's not a person in this crowd, if you're watching online, how this past year hasn't affected you. And how we have wondered, I don't know, God, do you really silence our fears? It's been a year where we've left the wonderment out there. God, can you meet us in the midst of a pandemic? God, can you meet us in the midst of so much strife and division? And it's been one of those years. It's interesting to think a year later, where are we? How are we? If you were to take a barometer check of your life, how are you doing compared to now versus a year ago? And our hope is, as a church, every time that we gather, and in the past few months, it's been outside, it's been inside, it's been everything in between. If you're joining online, that's also been something that we never thought in our wildest dreams we would ever have cameras. That wasn't a part of our vision as a church five and a half years ago. We're like, can't wait till we got a TV ministry. But it's been a year of opening new kinds of doors and seeing God do some amazing things and meeting us where our fears are because I'm going to be honest with you, I still have them. I still have fears. They creep up and the enemy would love to play with my insecurities and he would love to take ownership of my heart and my mind and my soul and tell me a different story because that's what he has been doing since the beginning. If you remember the stories of Genesis all the way back, the enemy has been telling lies. And he wants to tell lies today. He wants to tell lies in our soul that would give us fear. God's in the business. I like that phrase. God's in the business of silencing our fears and meeting us where we're at. And that's the God that we've been worshiping even in the last few minutes together. So let me pray with you and over you as we continue our worship this morning here at Refuge. Lord, we are grateful for your presence, which gives us hope and confidence wherever we find ourselves. Your presence is not resigned to this building, yet for so many decades you have been doing something special at this location. We as a church, as a gathering of people, have happened upon this space over the past year, and we say thank you. 
Thank you for guiding us as a refuge community here, giving us a place of refuge in our city, giving us a place to expand your kingdom in this city and provide your blessing. But God, for those of us who are gathered here in lo- online and in person, we want to meet with you yet again and be reminded that you are the God who silences our fears. So for those who are gathering in person, online, that would have the courage to say, I've got fears today. I don't know how things are going to pan out. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. Would you meet us today? And would we walk away different because we have met with you? You are a good God. You are worthy of our worship and you are worthy of our praise. And we want to give that to you this morning. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Oh, it is good to see you. I can't see those of you who are joining online, but it's good to see you too. Hey, if you are in the house, I'm going to give you a chance to fist bump someone nearby, elbow bump if you need to catch their eye, give them a word of greeting. There is coffee and donuts outside if you need it. If you are kids or youth in the house, you know where you're heading. If you don't, Follow the crowd that will head out the back, out of our front doors to the building next door because there is kids ministry happening and youth ministry happening next door. If you are joining us online, jot down where you are joining from, but it is good to see you here at Refuge. We will continue in just about 30 seconds. So say hi to someone, greet someone, and get yourself ready. If you've got a Bible, open up to the book of Exodus. Well, as you're finding your seat, let me give you a few announcements for the house. And those of you who are gathering online, I think there will be some links available in whatever platform you are watching on. There are three platforms. It's even helpful for those of you who are in-house to know how it is that we broadcast online. We go through YouTube, we go through Facebook, and we have even begun a new church online program that you can find at live.refugeoc.com. Dot com, and that actually is a pretty curated experience, almost resembles as much as possible a church gathering in an online format. So there'll be people there who are manning it, members of our team that are responding to requests. You have the options of even asking for prayer in an online format. So if you're watching online, regardless of your format, jot down some notes, put a comment, and we would love to connect with you. If you're here in the house, There's some information that you can have about ways to connect with Refuge. The easiest way to do so is through our weekly. It's it's kind of like our online bulletin. People in the past year have said, hey, take your bulletins online. And it has been so fun to be like, you know what? We have never printed a bulletin in our five and a half years as a church. I know many people would put us in the crowd of you guys are not truly Christians. And we're like, it's okay. 
We don't have to print a bulletin. We have an online version of it. It's called The Weekly. We update it with information for you, your family, ways to connect with life here at Refuge and in, around the community. There's something happening this Tuesday night. Just in two days, we are having a worship night. So at 7 p.m. here, we will be doing a worship night. We are walking through the season of Lent, these 40-plus days that lead to Easter weekend. And we want to have moments, not just our gatherings on Sunday mornings, but opportunities to gather in worship. So we would encourage you to come and find us on Tuesday night. We mention something here at Refuge quite often, and I'll even mention it in a couple of minutes as we walk through our sermon together. But we follow what's called the lectionary, the liturgical calendar. It seems like old hat, a little bit of a broken record for some of you who are here all the time. But this guides us through Scripture. It's a three-year plan, and there have been some who have said, hey, how can I find that throughout the week? How can I read ahead? And I love it because you want extra credit. You're going to pass the test. It's going to be so great. But we found a new resource this week. It's called the dailylectio.net. And actually, on the weekly, which I just mentioned, there is a cool link that you can get. You can either download the app if you are app-friendly. You love apps on your phone. You can't wait to add more apps. Perhaps you love to color code them. This one will be blue, and you might be able to put it with the blue apps. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be life-changing. But you can also sign up for a daily email that will give you the, uh, the scripture of the day that follows through the lectionary calendar and even prepares you for Sunday's readings. And so, and so we do information on the weekly. And uh, I think that might be it. Oh, no, no, that's not, that's not it. There's one more thing. We like to give here at Refuge. We love to use God's blessings to us as a church to be able to bless the community and the world around us. And so while you even showed up online or you showed up early, you saw some things online, information, there might even be some slides behind me, information for ways that you can give. The easiest and safest way to give in our non-touch society that we're into right now is, is online via an app that we use called Tithely. And so there's information. If you go to refugeoc.com forward slash give, you'll have information to connect with our online giving app. You can even text to give. There's even opportunities. We still have what they call in the business a mailbox, right? So if you want to mail something in, that's even an opportunity for you as well. But we love the ways that you trust us with your generosity so that we can pour out God's blessing all around the world. There's even a map that sometimes we show where is it that we are connected as a refuge church. We are not just solely Um, focused here in orange. While that is a majority of our focus, we also recognize that God has given us a mantle of of connection with other missionaries around the world to to expand God's kingdom. And so it's fun to see where God is taking us as a church to expand his blessings. And so there you go. If you want to give with us this morning, there's information to do that. We are grateful um, for you partnering with us in that way. Thursday. This past week, I was in the car with my 12-year-old. We just got done with baseball practice. And we were driving with his buddy, and I was going to deliver the buddy at home. And they decided to have this really, really deep conversation about diving boards. I know. You didn't see that one coming. Diving boards. Because the one friend was saying, it wouldn't be cool to have a house with a pool. And then my son said, yeah, Dad, why don't we get a pool? And then why don't we get a diving board? And then his friend said, you can't do that. And my son said, why not? He said, there's a law out there that you can't put new diving boards in. And he, my son goes, Dad, is that true? I said, yes, yeah, son, it's true. If you have a diving board, 
You get grandfathered in. So I had to explain what does it mean to be grandfathered into something. But you can't put new things in because there's laws. And my son said, why would they take away our fun? And I said, I know. I don't know who they are, but they came up with this crazy idea that says we're going to outlaw diving boards. It's a crazy law out there. It's a safe law. Helping them understand why is it that laws get written? Well, probably someone got hurt. He's like, well, well, isn't that the person's fault? And I said, I know what you're thinking. Yes. But some people get hurt somewhere else. And then in order to, you know, pay the bills, they might do something in court called suing someone. And they're going to go against the person who owned the diving board as if it was that person's fault. And he's like, that is just too much to think about. And I said, I know. I know that's exactly how it is. Sometimes laws make sense. Sometimes they don't make sense. Which brings us to the passage that we find ourselves in today. So in the lectionary, the Old Testament reading for this day is found in the book of Exodus. And if you have a Bible, if you have one with pages, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we'll be beginning today. But if you have even an online app, if you have a Bible app on your phones, perhaps you have your computer open, if you just get to a a version of the Bible that you would like to read with us this morning, I'll be reading from the NIV, and I'm telling you, I'm reading from my brand new Bible. (laughs) You want to get a pastor excited? You're like, I got a new Bible. Like, the pages are so, it's that, that new Bible smell. It's just so amazing. This is a brand new Um, updated edition of the study Bible for the NIV, the New International Version that just came out in September 2020. It's almost like a new car. You're like, yes, I I know, I'm so excited. So I'm reading from Exodus chapter 20, but in order for us to get what Exodus chapter 20 is all about, we have to back the story up. So before we even put some scriptures on the screen behind me, if you have even the notes that will be in your Bible or perhaps the Bible app that you're following, so don't read ahead just yet. But in order for us to get to Exodus chapter 20, we have to understand what happened back in the day. Because if you begin the book of Exodus, we are told, if you go back to Exodus chapter 1, we're told about a bunch of brothers of Joseph that had just moved to Egypt. That's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 1 when things begin in this story that Moses, who most likely is the storyteller that is telling this version of the story in Exodus, that the brothers of Joseph had just moved to Egypt. And why did they move to Egypt? Well, because their brother Joseph had been in Egypt after he'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. So the very brothers that sold him to slavery, if you remember some of the story, eventually moved to Egypt because they finally reconnect with Joseph. And Joseph says, I'm your brother that you sold into slavery. And it's not because of what you wanted. It's because of what God wanted. He got me here so that I could save the family. Please move the entire family to here. So the beginning verses of Exodus chapter 1, the brothers move. Just a few verses later, we're told that there's a new pharaoh in town, which is a fancy word of a king. The king of Egypt, there's a new one in town who doesn't remember Joseph and his brothers and his family. And so he is changing the entire paradigm of the country that says we no longer can allow the Israelites, these people that are a part of Joseph's family, Jacob's family, Isaac's family. And if you go all the way back to Abram, it's that family. So things are messed up. They're being put into bondage and into slavery. And if you love a good old Charlton Heston movie, this is where you would watch the Ten Commandments. This is what would happen. Because we happen upon in Exodus chapter 2 and 3, we hear stories of a baby like Moses who's being born, who is being sent by his mother because the king of Egypt is out killing babies left and right, and she wants to save him. 
He becomes the deliverer. He becomes raised up within Pharaoh's household because Pharaoh's daughter grabbed him from the water, puts him into the palace, grows him up as, his, as her own. So he becomes what even the story that Disney told us, he's a prince of Egypt, if you remember the movie, right? Everyone with me? We got this? So he grows up in Pharaoh's household. He's got everything at his disposal until he wakes up one day and figures out that there's a bunch of people that perhaps even look like him that are being oppressed. They're being forced into slave labor. And it doesn't look so good. And he's wondering, wait a second, these are my people. Even though I'm adopted into Pharaoh's household, I don't know, it's not sitting well with me. And an altercation ensues where Moses kills someone and then leaves town. And for 40 years, he wanders in the desert trying to figure out, can I just get away from my past? I'm not sure if you've ever been there before. You want to get away from what's happened before you, and you want to write a new story. And out in the desert, he meets not just an opportunity to meet someone to get married to, and he eventually finds himself in the member of another family, but he meets with God, and this story happens in Exodus chapter 3 where there's a bush that is burning, and it doesn't burn up, and then there's a voice that calls out from it. I'm not telling you new stuff. For those of you who have any recollection of Scripture, this is one of those famous stories, those gargantuan stories that live bigger than life, and we don't know what to do with it, but eventually... Moses is sent back to Egypt because God has said, I want you to go get my people. I have heard their cries for generations because the new leadership of the country has put them into bondage, into slavery, and I need you to go rescue them. And Moses is going to give a little bit of his pushback. I don't speak too good, God. And he's like, okay, I'm going to work with that. I'll figure out a way, but I still want you to go. And eventually he sends Moses and he says, I'm going to send some plagues. I'm going to send some things to wake Pharaoh up. And he wakes Pharaoh up. And you remember the plagues that get sent? Do you remember all 10 of them? Goes down from starting with the waters turned into blood. And there's flies and locusts. There's the death of the cattle and the livestock getting us all the way to the 10th plague that everyone knows about. Oh, this is the one, the plague on the firstborn where every firstborn house, every house that has a firstborn son, their son would be killed unless they had the mark of blood over the doorpost of the house. This is the instructions that God said to Moses, do this. Tell the people of Israel, if you want your kid to be saved, dip that hyssop tree into the blood, mark it over your doorpost of your house, and the angel of death will come and will not visit your house. And finally, because death visited Pharaoh's house that day, Pharaoh said, fine, get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. And Moses is able to lead the people out of Egypt. They head towards what's called the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds. And they don't know what to do because they've got Pharaoh on their tail when Pharaoh says, wait a second, I'm letting all of our workforce go? Crazy idea, can't do that. Let's go get them. So he sends his army. They're chasing the Israelites. They get to where they're at. They're on the edge of the water. They've got mountains on both sides and Pharaoh's behind them. And Moses is probably wondering, God, how are you going to get us out of this story? And God says, just trust me. Take that staff that's in your hand. Place it by the water's edge and watch what I can do. And the water's are spread, and they walk through. You know the story. You know how it goes down. He splits the waters. They walk through just in time. But when the 
The Egyptians followed them, and they get to the water. We know what happens. The water comes back and overtakes them. So the Israelites are on the other side of the water, and they are high-fiving each other. They're like doing the chest bump thing. They're like, yeah, we did it. Look at you, Pharaoh. And they're like, watch me walk like an Egyptian now. I had to throw it in at one point. You've got to trust me on that one. I had to use that one. But they get out of the desert, and they are a bunch of slaves. They have lived for generations as slaves in the past, and they have to figure out what does it mean to be free. What does it mean to be free? And so God says, there's going to be a new way. I'm going to give you some, some words that I want you to follow. And this is where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20. These are the ten words that God gives. Some people call them the ten commandments. But I know what you're thinking. If you say the word commandment, it sounds like a shame-based organization that's just trying to squeeze you and pinch you and smear you into right living. Why is it that God would give these ten words to his people? So, let's walk through them. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did you know the difference there? Third and fourth generation, they get some punishment, but there's a love for thousands of generations. Ah, the lavishness of God, he's amazing. All right, commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
And that is where we finish our reading for today, those 17 verses of Exodus chapter 20. And I know what you're thinking. I don't even have a neighbor that has an ox or a donkey. How can any of this have input into my life? Or the other question is, is like, is God grading on a scale? Like, is there a curve? Where are we at on that? And if I were to ask you, could you look at this list and perhaps give yourself a little bit of a self-assessment? How are we doing on the 10? We're not going to take hands. Keep them to yourself. I don't want to know, especially certain ones of these. I don't want to know. All right. But if you were to look through this list and you're like, ah, if God is grading on the scale, I feel like I'm doing pretty, pretty good. My guess is for most of us, we could probably give a thumbs up on at least six or seven of them, if not eight ish. But you're like, well, how serious is he when he says this? But you have to ask yourself the question, why in the world would God do this? Why would he want to give these words to his people? Because you have to remember, he's getting them out of slavery, and they have to go to a new life. He is showing them a way that says, if you live like this, it will actually be better for you. I remember uh, doing some, some study around the, the period of World War II. I love that, that period of history. I've read a lot. I've watched a lot. I have just just like giving myself to so much of that time period. And there are reports of the Allied soldiers when they would go and liberate a concentration camp. The gut response of every soldier was seeing these people who were so emaciated and starving to give every ounce of food that they could, the chocolate bars that the GIs were known to carry or anything that they had available, and they would just give it to all of the people in the concentration camps because that's our gut response when we see people suffering. But eventually, as the aid workers would come through, they would actually tell the soldiers, do not give them all of your stuff because they have been starving for so long. If you overfeed them, it will actually be more harmful to their bodies than anything else. The reason I bring that up is because I wonder what it's like to come out of slavery like the Israelites. I wonder what it means to come out of a concentration camp. I wonder what it means to come out of an old way of life. And eventually, if I'm going to deal with God, he's going to give me a new way of life. He's going to give me some instructions. And it makes the complete amount of sense in my mind that God would give these words, these 10 words to his people coming out of slavery because he wants to lay down. There is a new order. Here's how you're supposed to live. I know Pharaoh was in charge. But if you would trust me, these 10 words will save you. And there's a lot of talk out there, like people want to get rid of uh, the Ten Commandments. The, I mean, the, people want to cancel them. Um, it's like, like, let's just get rid of the Ten Commandments like we want to get rid of like a Dr. Seuss book or something. I don't know if you've heard. Okay, let's, let's not go there. But we want to get rid of these things that actually have provided so much of the basis of our ethical understanding of life because God imparted them to his people saying, when you come out of slavery and you come into this new way of life, I want you to consider living like this. And again, if we were to take the 10, where are you at? Are we 70%? Are we 80%? Let's not get too sure of ourselves and be like, I aced it because we should talk and I'm going to point out some things. Just kidding. 
But this all became real to me on Friday. I told you the story about my son on Thursday. I'm going to tell you the story about my daughter on Friday. She's not in this room, and I can tell these stories. It's so great. We went golfing. And I know this may not make sense to a lot of people because you may not like golf, but I like golf. She likes golf. She likes golf. I wonder if she likes golf or she likes to ride in the cart. I don't know where it's at right now. Like it's like the verdict's out. Um, but she wants to golf, and we were golfing. One day she's going to watch this because it's going to be on the Internet, and she's going to be like, I hate you, Dad, for telling this story. But here is what's happening on, on, on Friday. We go golfing. It's a beautiful day. It's a magnificent day. The sun is shining. We got our clubs. We get, we're just out there. Now, I've been playing for some time. Like, I know this game. There's a few things in my life that I would say, like, I know really well. Like, I know this game really well. I don't play it really well all the time, but I know it really well. I know the rules, mainly because I was on teams when I was younger in high school where you had to know the rules because they would come against you if you didn't know the rules. For instance, there's this tee box thing that everyone talks about, and there's these two markers that you have to go stand next to before you hit your ball. And I know there's a rule that says if you place your ball in front of the tee, it's a two-stroke penalty. And my 10-year-old was about to put her ball on the other side. And I'm like, Hannah, if you do that, it's a two-stroke penalty. And she says, Dad, shut up. I'm going to do my own thing. She didn't really say that, but that's the look I got. Um, She's not so harsh like that. But I felt it in her eyes. And I'm like, could you please move it back? And she did say, she's like, I just want to put it where I want to put it. I know you want to put it where you want to put it. But it belongs on the other side of the tee box because I know the rules. This is how golf works. There's another rule out there in golf. It's just, it, it would seem like it would just be common sense. You don't run or shout when people are swinging. Like, that's just something I was taught as a kid. Like, you don't run or shout when people are in their backswing. Well, my son, who's playing with us, is like in the middle of his backswing, and she doesn't care. She would love to mess him up all day long. And she ran right by him yelling. And he mishit it. I mean, he's still learning the game, too. And he probably could have done better, but he was like, right? The ball's off. I said, hey, Micah, why don't you do that one again? And Hannah, let's not run or make noise, okay? She's like, walks back, does her thing. This is how the day went. Every hole. It's like I'm pointing out the rules, There are rules in the golf game that I'm probably not aware of in the USGA handbook, but there's so many rules. And there's a tendency for you and me to think we look back on the Ten Commandments like there's so many rules. And you think you had it bad with ten. If you were a Jewish person in the Old Testament time period, there were like 613 more. And then other things, you're like, why is it that God's this God of rules? What is he trying to do? Because I'm trying to tell my daughter that if you play by the rules, golf will actually be more exciting, and you'll be able to enjoy it even more. She doesn't get that right now. That was the conversation we had in the car ride home. I said, do you want to come back another day? And she says, I do. I said, then you must listen to me. Please listen to me. I am not a bad person. I know this game. I have been playing it for like 30-something years. I know how to play this game. And if you would trust me. And she's like, I don't want to trust. This, this literally came out of her mouth. I don't want to trust you. I want to do it my way. And I'm like, that's it. That's the problem. So when we read the Ten Commandments, 
we're tempted to say, God, get off my back. I don't want to live the way that you were talking about. And there's a truth to say, well, that's back then. And Jesus now, you know, he's, he's completely changed things up. I don't need to look at the Ten Commandments. But it's interesting that when there's a teacher, or not a teacher, a person comes to Jesus in the 10th chapter of Mark. He says, what must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus is listing all of the commandments and the person says, I've got all that done. And he goes, well, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And that was too much. And you're like, wait a second. That wasn't in the book. That wasn't in the 10. But Jesus knew the interaction that he had with that person today was so much so to say, I want to hear what's in your heart. I want to know what's really going on inside you. Because you may be able to tick off all of the things. You're like, I didn't kill anybody this week. Must be doing well, Right? like high-fiving. I never robbed a bank. Get off my back, God. But if we peer into the heart of God when he's laying these rules and these words to his people out, why in the world would he say, here's a new way of life, do it this way? Because he wants them to experience the beauty of life. There's a few, just three of these commandments that I would say each of us struggle with on a regular basis. We'll go backwards. We'll go with number 10. I think number 10 is a big one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And you're like, oh, man. If I were to peer into my soul, how many of you have had that moment? You, you drove by that house, and you're like, dang, that's nice. Like Pastor Nikki and Jason just moved into a house, and I drive by their neighborhood, and I'm like, But do you get the heart of this one? This is where I'm saying, I want what you have. Because if I could have what you have, then I'll be happy. This is why we have things like commercials. Because commercials are telling us what we don't have. And they are making us covet what we don't have. So that we think that if we have it, we will finally feel satisfied. Ask any marketing guru that you know. That's how it works. Let me just paint a picture of what you should have. And the world that you and I live in, is that's constantly it. When's the last time you coveted something? I, I bet you didn't even use that word. But catch yourself this week when you say, if I only had that, then I would be happy. If I had the bigger house, I'd be happy. If I had the better car, I'd be happy. If I had more in my account, I would be happy. If I could go on more vacations, I would be happy. If my kids were this way or that way, I would be happier how often is it that we have compared ourselves to people around us and assumed that if I could have what they have, my life would be better? And God is hitting us at our core saying, stop it. All right. The next one. Let's count it up here. One, two, three. Okay, it's number four. The fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day. I'll just point my fingers at me. I don't do this all that well. And we can parse that one out. We're like, oh, that's Old Testament. We don't have to be it. Last night, I was at my brother's house. We were celebrating my dad's birthday. 
and uh, they were having issues with the refrigerator, so we were looking at it, and we noticed that on their refrigerator, there is a Sabbath setting. I mean, how cool is that? Like, that I would get an exact, like, uh, uh, image to use on my sermon on a Saturday night. It was perfect. Like, Sabbath setting on this thing, what does that even do? We're looking it up, and it reduces the amount of energy that's used because they assume if you are a Sabbath-keeping person, you will not be using the refrigerator those days. And then I'm saying... How does the refrigerator know which day is the Sabbath day? That's my cynical side, right? Like, you're like, I don't even know. Are they choosing Tuesdays? Is it Saturdays? Is it Sundays? What would it be? I'm sure there's a setting that you could figure that one out. But this whole idea of Sabbath as a gift, right? It's no longer just this thing of, like, stop working. And there's rules to stop working that the Jews were given about the whole Sabbath day, which you could and could not do. And the Jewish rabbis would lay in the parameters of the box. If you could fit inside that box, not a literal box, understand me. If you could fit within the guidelines for the Sabbath day, then you would get God off your back. And people got really good at Sabbath keeping. But why is, why is God giving us this Sabbath day? Because he knows that we are a created being that will work our tails off, especially to either make a living or to impress someone or to find value, to make a scene in the world. We will work to the nth degree. And there's a sense that God's saying, I want to give you a gift once a week where you remember that your purpose here in life is not to work. Your purpose here in life is to understand that I have created you. I've actually created all of this. And would you engage that? Sabbath keeping is hard. It does not mean you go to church, you've got God off your back for Sabbath day. But when's the last time that you didn't check your email? When's the last time you didn't check your phone? When's the last time you turned off your social media accounts so that you don't have to be available to the world? You actually can be available to God. And that's is conviction for me. I don't know if you want to find company with me and we'll have like Tuesday night gatherings and we should get together and be like, yeah, you've got an addict problem as well. Yeah, we all do. We are constantly available to everybody else and rarely available to God. And finally, I think the third one that we really have a big issue with is that, that first one. You shall have no other gods before me. It's like, wait a second, it's not a real big deal for me, Brenton. I believe in God. I'm good with God. I'm sure you are. But my question is, is how often have we displaced God and put something in his place? How often have we, we taken him off the goal of our lives and said, I'm chasing this instead? I'm chasing meaning, I'm chasing money, I'm chasing value, I'm chasing a job, I'm chasing someone. Because if I can get that, then I'll be worth it. And God's saying, the rest of culture around you is telling you what your gods should be. But will you trust me and believe that I'm the God that you need, not anybody else? Because, can you imagine if we were to put ourselves back with the Israelites when they were first given this decree from Mount Sinai as Moses goes up and comes down? There's thunder, there's clouds, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And when they hear these words, you shall have no other God, because the Israelites had just come from where? They just came from Egypt where there's all kinds of gods. 
They got gods for everything. But we don't even have to go that far back to get it because you and I, we are tempted to have gods of all kinds. We are tempted to put other things in the place of the God who created us and created this world. And the challenge for you and for me is as we embrace him and his vision and his kingdom as we, as we lead into this week, the question is, where do we stack up when we consider, is there a God that I'm putting in place of God? Am I not keeping the Sabbath and giving myself a break from the way the world works? And that doesn't mean sleep it off, slough it off. Sabbath keeping is enjoying the way that God has created things. And finally, where am I at on the coveting? Where am I at on the place where I'm saying, I don't have everything I need, and if I just could get it, I would be happy. And God's saying, stop it. You can imagine how peaceful it would have been if they got it. Okay, so back to golf on Friday. Because this is where it really became real to me on Friday. It's like I knew this was the passage that I needed to preach because of what was happening with my daughter. Now, I can get really mad and upset with her on the golf course. We could find ourselves yelling, but then all the other groups would look at us awkwardly. I could yell at her, you're not putting the ball in the right place. Would you stop running and stop shouting? This is not how we do things. We're not here to just drive the cart. We're here to play the game. I'm still trying to teach her that if your ball is farther out on the green, you don't hit it first. I mean, actually, you do hit it first. You don't hit, yeah, you, got, you don't get all that. But if your ball is closer, you don't get to go in front of your brother if he's farther out. I want to hit when I want to hit. That's what she's saying. I say that thing about life. I do this to God all the time. He has given me a way of life that would actually embrace his kingdom in newfound ways. But I say to him all the time, I can do it better than you can. That's what I experienced on Friday at golf. But here's the other thing I experienced. I know it's going to take her a long time to get there. Because it took me a long time. I wasn't a pro at like nine years old when I started playing golf. I used to imagine what my dad had to go through when he, every time he took me out to hit balls. How often I would like step on, you ever stepped on someone's line? Like that irks me to the nth degree. You're on the green. You don't do this. I don't know if you play golf, but if you ever find yourself on the green, do not step on someone's line. Like that will inflame me. Don't do it. And we can make light of the golf game. We can make light of all that stuff. But we do this to God with his his ideals, and his concepts for living. Because he wants to lead us into a new way of life, and we are caught saying, I can do it better. I don't want to listen to you. And I want to be in charge. And God's saying, there's a new way. There's a new way and an opportunity to have life. And would you trust me moving forward? Because as he put the breath of God God into the lungs of Adam and Eve when they began the story. God is constantly speaking words of life and breath to his people. So this week, I want to give you an opportunity not to grade yourself. Because God has the long-range view of the future of our lives. If we've made mistakes, if there are moments on the Ten Commandments where we have not done our best. God is in the long-range business with his people saying, there's going to come a day that you're going to get it and you're going to live that way. Move that way. 
Because there's going to come a day where she's going to be on the golf course and she's going to get it. And I can't wait. But I want to keep taking her to the golf course because then she has an opportunity to understand the game. I want to keep living this life that God has given me with the precepts that he has laid out because his way is actually way better than mine. Let's pray. Lord, pray that this week we have opportunities to see how you are leading us, to see how these 10 words that you gave to your people so long ago still have power and influence today. I pray for grace to be bestowed upon those in this room who perhaps notice certain commandments that they have messed up on. Would they experience your grace and your forgiveness and your love in real ways this morning? But today is a new day to draw the line in the sand. And as we move forward in concert with you, may we make you known to the world that we live in because of the ways that we live differently. We may not be coming out of Egypt as slaves, but we find ourselves in a world that is not always directed towards you. May we, your people, your community, may we show you off to a world that desperately needs you in new ways this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.